0: All right, here we are, Joshua chapter 5. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to the book of Joshua. Joshua 5 is where we'll be. We've been going through the book of Joshua for the the last several weeks. We started in chapter 1, took a couple of weeks there. In chapter 2, we went 3 and then 4. And now we finally got the people of God over the Jordan River going into the Promised Land. Now I'm going to read Joshua 5, verses 1 through 9. It's nine verses and nine times... You'll see the word circumcision. This is the danger of doing expositional preaching. I didn't write it, but we read it, and we have to ask, why is that there? What, why did God put that here? What, what is He saying to us today? I hope that we can find that out as we go through this passage. If you found Joshua five, won't you stand? We'll read together God's word, Start in verse one, and read down to verse nine. Grass with us, and the flowers fade with the word of our God At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, all the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all of the men of war who had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war, who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land That the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children, whom He raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today... I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal, which means roll away. It's called Gilgal up to this very day. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray that you will use your word to speak to your people. Holy Spirit of God, open our hearts to receive it. I pray for those that have been pretending to be Christians and followers of Jesus, that this word might expose that and your spirit might save them. God, we pray that you would bring about a desire for holiness, a love for the truth, a strength of character. We pray that you'd find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. From time to time here at Hickory Grove, we sing what is known as an antiphonal song. That is a... A call and response starts with a question and then there comes the answer you might know the song Uh, one of the questions is do you feel that the world is broken and then we answer we do and then we ask another question is all creation groaning and then we answer it is and I don't know When I have felt that more than I do right now, maybe you feel it too. There's confusion about gender, there's division among, there's division on race, there's churched people going soft on things like abortion. Even the church has become unclear on morality. Meanwhile, some of you have felt this. Meanwhile, just simple Christianity, just basic Christianity is being ostracized and marginalized and even mocked. There is a certain growing societal pressure that's being placed on committed Christians. That pressure is this pressure to capitulate uh, to the economic and social vice that we live in. To to conform to the ever-degrading ways of the world. And more precisely, even among the church, There was a time when going to church was good for your social capital. It made you look good in the community. It probably would help in business endeavors. It made you seem like a respectable citizen. It has been completely flipped over now. Now, to go to a Bible-believing church that preaches the gospel and believes the book, uh, that now will be costly. But I'm convinced that those who have the Spirit of God, those who put their faith in Christ, have been converted Those people, you, are are made of fairly stern stuff. Now, before we sort of uh, relish in our own strength, let's not forget, we are not Invictus. Invictus, you can go look it up later. Invictus, we are not the commanders of our own fate or our own souls. We are not beaten and unbowed. Let's forget who... uh, Let's forget trying to be that. Let's remember who we are. We are Christians. We have no fear of dying because we're already dead. We've been made alive, been made alive in Christ. And if that's the case, then the Bible says that no weapon that is formed against us can stand. That is exactly the sense you get Joshua chapter 5. Let's catch ourselves up. Here's what the Lord has done. God has miraculously brought Joshua and the Israelites all the way across the Jordan River. He did that in chapter 3. Chapter 4, they got over there and built a monument because God told them to, to remember that I did this for you. And now as chapter 5 opens up, here are the people right on the edge. They've been waiting 40 years to walk into the promised land, but to do so correctly, they are going to need God's power. They're going to need God's presence. They're going to need God's protection. And they're going to get it. But they're going to get it by living God's way. As God's people, as those that claim to know Christ, that claim the name Christian, As God's people, we are called to live like that. I I want you, just this morning, we don't have very much time together, but just as we go, you might even want to write it down, the question, um, am I, ask yourself, because I certainly don't know, am I living God's way? Because, because, if we're going to be God's people, then we've got to live God's way way. One thing, is for, one thing is for certain. In fact, this will be my first point. Number one, one thing is for certain when God acts, people take notice. You'll see it right there in verse one. When God does something, when he acts, people actually stop and look over there. Let me show it to you right there in verse one. The stage is set in verse one. You see it? As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, Amorites and Canaanites, uh, they're describing basically the same people. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, when they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts, its my favorite part, their hearts melted, there was no longer any spirit in them. Their hearts melted like wax close to a fire, like a stick of butter on top of the stove and you left it on and it melted. Why? Because the Jordan River was a natural defense mechanism. Think about, uh, think about a, a castle with a moat around it. Think about a river. That, that is a natural defense mechanism of invading armies. Now, invading armies have crossed rivers from time immemorial. Go read military history. In fact, the most celebrated event of World War II happened 77 years ago today. The Allied invasion of Normandy crossed the English Channel, and it'll go home and, and watch a documentary today. World War II documentary. Our armies have been crossing rivers on bridges and barges and ferries. But never like this. God's people didn't just cross the Jordan. God himself went in front of them in the ark, his presence in the ark. He pushed the water back, stacked it up way up river. It went completely dry downriver, And the Bible says, go read it in Joshua 4, that they walked across there on dry ground. It was a miracle. So that the people living in that promised land, the Canaanites and the Amorites, so that the people living there would know that there is no God like our God. That He controls nature. Not only that, He controls the hearts of pagans. He made their spirits flee out of their bodies. I mean, just think about the Canaanites and the Amorites. These are the very same people, if you know Bible history, these are the very same people that uh, when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land and had Joshua and Caleb led the party, these are the same people. Those 10 spies came back and said, look, there are giants in the land. And so the people were influenced, they sinned against God, and that's why they didn't get into the promised land. But now, these very same people are afraid. Their hearts are melting like wax. You know what that tells us? That tells us that what we we fear, God controls. What we dread, God owns. What we need, God supplies. Not only that, let's think about the miracles just for a little bit. Why, why are miracles in the Bible? You can read all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and then into the New. There are These miracles in the Bible, there are two primary reasons, maybe three, but two primary reasons. Every miracle is a benefit to God's people or even a person, maybe just one person. Every miracle is a benefit either to God's people or to one person. You get in the New Testament uh, and a, and um, someone that is blind received their sight. It's a benefit to that person, but that's not the only. That's not the only purpose for a miracle. The miracles are in the Bible to validate, to, to show the authority of God's deliverance that God is the deliverer. You can see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go read the book of Acts. Any time the apostles performed miracles in Acts, that miracle followed was followed by. The preaching of the gospel. When I say gospel, here's what I mean. The perfect life of Jesus on this earth. That He lived perfectly, fulfilling all of the law in a way that we can. not That He went to the cross. The reason behind the cross is there He was nailed to a cross. Under God's plan, God gave Jesus to it. Nailed to a cross to take the wrath of God, all of the punishment. Wages of sin is death. Jesus died. Those wages. He, he, is, he received every bit of that punishment for all of the sinners that will believe. Okay, so he died. God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. He reigns as Lord. And now salvation, how does it work? Any person that trusts that Jesus died for you, the Bible says that you will be saved. The miracle, you see, the miracle is God's deliverance. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Salvation, I'll just press on that a moment. Salvation is not primarily a decision that you make. Salvation is an act of God that he has done, the finished work of Jesus. And when God acts, if you're converted, if you don't mind me using that language, it's, it's, good, it's a good word to describe to go from not being a Christian to being a Christian. You've been converted, been changed God does that. If that is true, there is evidence. And when God acts, people will see that. They will recognize that. They will take notice. Have people taken notice of your conversion? Is, is it clear that you once were different and now you, have, you are changed and are follower of Jesus? You're not just following, trying to live. You've been You've been changed. Do people recognize it um, in your daily walk, in your love for people, in the way you speak? Be careful. Social media, the way you speak, you represent Jesus if you're a Christian. People see that you actually conduct yourself differently. Your, your humility, your love for people that are, aren't lovable, you're extending mercy to those that don't deserve mercy. That's an act of God, and when God acts, people, when God acts, people take notice. Well, let me keep pressing on that a little bit. Number two, this is right from the Bible. Number two, God's ways are not our ways. Think about it with me now before, before I read it to you. The Canaanites are on the run according to verse 1. Canaanites and Amorites, they're in the promised land. they got to be cleared out. And verse 1 tells us they are scared to death. They've heard about what God has done, and it has them rattled. They don't feel like giants in the land. They are mighty mites in the land. Now, Israel, here's how we would say it. Israel actually has the momentum. And it feels good to have momentum. If you're a businessman, you know things are going well. Let's just keep moving And look what God tells Joshua to do. Let me read it to you, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. I'll just stop there. So that is not. I mean, what, what general have you ever heard of has opened up a campaign in hostile territory like this? I mean, what if Eisenhower had said, okay, when you cross the English Channel, you get to Omaha Beach, you guys stop. i got a little operation you're going to have to go through. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, just pause and think, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If you are a military man, this doesn't make any sense except that God had said to do it. This act of obedience that Joshua would lead the people, hundreds of thousands of men there. Someone asked me this week, did Joshua, did he have to do all of that by himself? I have no idea how they did it. Hundreds of thousands of men. This, will, this one act of obedience will incapacitate the entire army right in front of the enemy. The enemy's on the run, and God says, stop. Why would God do that now? We'll get to it in a moment. Verses 4, 5, and 6 sort of explain part of it. But let me just make a a couple of general statements about circumcision. Why is that here? If you read the whole Bible, you want to try to get the whole Bible and its story. There's a storyline in the Bible. You have creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And and the Bible tells the story of Jesus. The whole Bible is the story of Jesus. And, And circumcision is in the Bible as early as Genesis 17. It is the seal of God's covenant with Abraham and it's a sign for God's people. It's a seal of the covenant and a sign for God's people. And that sign in the Old Testament gives us the groundwork for the sign in the New Testament of baptism. This is, by the way, um, this is where our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would... Um, this is where they get the idea for infant baptism. This is how they biblically biblically justified. Now, I think they're in error, but this is how they were justified. Paul says it like... Let me give you a New Testament quote. Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Paul says, In him, in Jesus, in him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands... By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Paul will then later say it. he's, he's always trying to get them out of legalism into seeking grace. In Philippians chapter three, verse three, Paul will go on to say, "So, so here's we are the circumcision." And this is how he says it. Three three things. Who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So, So you have it. It's a sign of the covenant. It's an act of obedience. It's a reminder of the power of God. Okay, go back with me to Joshua 5. So here in Joshua, all of the men of fighting age would be circumcised as an act of obedience. Hundreds of thousands of them an act of devotion, an act of trust, an abandonment to God's ways and not their own because they would have charged into the land. God's way, not our way. Our way says do not miss an opportunity. You better strike while the iron is hot. You don't, don't, don't let life pass you by. Let me just remind you, God is never we're the ones in a hurry. God is never in a hurry. God never misses a plane. God never wastes an opportunity. God never makes a mistake. God's delays in your life, and that if God is sovereign, He control, God's delays. And God's roadblocks in your life are infinitely more profitable than any of your hurrying. We, we fall over into legalism. We fall over into pragmatism. We we fall over into thinking we want to do, we want to do something for God. He calls us to be something for God. We, we want to do something. And Jesus says on that last day, they'll come and say, Lord, did we not? prophesy in your name and did we not cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name and Jesus will say to them it's not the things you did you get away from me I didn't know you we want to do something God calls us to be something we want to be like the the folks in Joshua 5 we want to win and conquer and fight and move God called them to consecrate to wait now before I'm Make too much application here. L- let's go to the explanation in verses 4 and 5 and 6. And I'll simply say it like this. The explanation tells us, here's a third point, by the way. The explanation tells us that God is serious about sin. If God is serious about sin, shouldn't we? If, if God doesn't turn a blind eye and He doesn't excuse and he doesn't soften, and if he doesn't equivocate, why why should we? Let me show you where I get that. You'll you'll just um, see the whole passage in verses 4, 5, and 6. There's an explanation as to why the new army had to be circumcised. I'm going to read it, but especially verse 6. Let me just read it to you. I'll start in verse 4. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All of the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all of the men of war... "...had died in the wilderness on the way after they would come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they would come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord." The Lord swore to them he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. So there, there's a backstory here. And the backstory reaches all the way back into the story of Israel, God delivering them from slavery out of Egypt, going into the wilderness. Numbers 14 tells us the story of Moses sending the 12 spies, including Joshua and Caleb, their young men, Went into the promised land. They saw how great it was. But ten of those spies came back and told the people, it's, okay, it is a beautiful place, but there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers next to them. Joshua and Caleb they, they gave a good report. No, we can do it. God's goodness, he'll carry us through. We can do it. But the people were convinced by those ten spies, and, and you find in Numbers 14, verse 10, they started to, they wanted to kill Joshua picked up rocks to stone them. Go read the story. And the glory of the Lord descended in such a way that they were protected. And in Numbers 14, verse 29, the Lord says this right here. The Lord gives the curse. Your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness. Not one of you will enter into the the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. So look an entire generation, 38 years, an entire generation is punished. Now God has brought His people right to the edge of the promised land and He's called them for a sign of the covenant to remind them of His holiness and the call of God's people to not be like the Canaanites and the Amorites living in the land. It's strange to me. Holiness, holiness has gone strangely out of fashion in today's church. Today's church, there's a big push to be, you want relevance, you want community, you want to be, Cutting edge, want to to encourage and, and affirm. And so many of those things are good things that the church should do. But it's the call of holiness that God places on his people. When you think about holiness, you need to think about two words specifically. There are lots of words, but two. One would be justification, justification is a one time event, sanctification is a process. Justification happens when you put your faith in Jesus at the cross. When you're saved, you're justified. That means your guilt is taken away. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Once you're saved, growing more and more like Christ. It's what the Holy Spirit does in you and your efforts. God takes that. So if you ever wonder, if you're wondering, okay, am I actually a Christian? You You can reverse the process and start with sanctification and look back have I? You start asking questions. Are you you growing in the Lord? Do you love the Bible more and more? Do you desire more of God? Do you love to come and worship with God's people? Are you you changing, being more like Christ? Maybe maybe those are too vague uh, for you. So you can start asking questions behaviorally. If you are not married and living with someone and calling yourself a Christian and having premarital sex and yet don't feel bad about it there's a chance there's something wrong with where you are in life if you get drunk on the weekends to the degree you lose all control or you, you, you don't mind flying off the handle you cuss like a sailor or you're filled with rage or you're judgmental and hateful Prideful? My question would be, what what makes you think you're a believer? You believe in God. Maybe you believe in Jesus. It's just not the God of the Bible. It's one that you fashion for yourself. The the God of the Bible is, is, is wrath and grace. Take them both now. Look at both. Wrath and grace. It's a sheer act of grace that any person that's not a Christian, it's a sheer act of grace that any sinner made it through the night last night. If the wages of sin is death and every sin deserves punishment, then it is just God's grace that he keeps people alive. And the Bible says and the psalmist says that God feels indignation every single day. That he seethes at sin, that he despises even the garment stained with sin. That's wrath. We believe that about God. That's Old and New Testament. But that's not the only story. The story of God is, is one of grace. That is God's perfect, unconditional love in Jesus. It is, it is grace. If, if there's conviction in your heart over sin, there's that's a grace. If you think about sin and you're done making excuses and you're you're done defending something, you realize that that, that's an actual act of grace. You need to look to Christ to save you. Which takes us another step deeper. Just keep pressing on this passage now. Come down the page a little bit. It takes us another step deeper into God's good news. Remember, the gospel is good news. It's found right down there in verse 9. I'll say it like this. When... When God restores, when He restores, He does so completely. You should cling to verse 9. Let me just read it to you. This is what the passage says. And the Lord said to Joshua, this is after they've circumcised, been circumcised, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal, which means to roll away. That word reproach, it's the word shame. Shame. Have you ever felt guilty? if you ever done something and you knew you were wrong? You felt the shame of it. Or maybe you, you were a victim. You felt the shame. God says, here's what I've done. This is what God does. Take this with me to the cross. Now, this is what, this is what God does at the cross. He rolls away the humiliation. How humiliating was it that they were slaves in Egypt? God... Rolls that away. Reproach. He he rolls away the, the sin of doubt and ingratitude. They were not thankful. They were prideful people. And God, he rolls that away. They were complainers. Just go read the story of them. They complained about everything. God rolls that legacy away. They were cowards. They wouldn't go into the land God takes all of that that they ought to be ashamed of. And this is what happens when we get saved. The things that we ought to be ashamed of got us to the cross. We no longer are ashamed of them because God rolls it away. But the lingering, the lingering taste of rebellion. I started thinking about uh, uh, being a slave in Egypt. What did they have to suffer? I read some of it and their cries went up to the Lord but what kind of abuse it can can do you believe God can roll away the shame look they they had been their parents had been slaves and who knows how they were abused that God at the cross can roll away the open wounds of abuse and in place of reproach, what does he hear? The good news. In place of reproach, is this adoption as, as sons and daughters of God. This, this affection that's given. If you have children, you know what it's like. You love your ch- this affection as children of God. This this promise of going into the land. Even the writer here includes himself in verse seven. Us, he says, promised us the land of milk and honey. This this promise of freedom. This um, here's what salvation does. There is a reinstatement of dignity. Every person made in the image of God, the image of God in us is disfigured because of our own sin. What Jesus does is reinstate the dignity of God in you. All of that happens. When God takes away reproach. God's people living God's way. You join me as we pray together. Your heads bowed this morning. When we sing today, I'd like to give you an opportunity. Uh, Just a chance to respond. Our pastors are down front here. They're on the front row and want to talk and pray with you. Maybe you'd like just to come and pray with one or, or have a pastor pray with you or for you. Maybe you're a Christian, you've heard some of the sins I just listed and you just want to repent of those. Possibly you're, you're not a believer and, and you want to give your life to Christ. You, you feel the conviction of sin. and You want to look to the cross and be saved. I've, I've talked about God's people living God's way. God's way is Jesus who said... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Be set free today. Father, thank you for the word you've given us in Joshua chapter 5. I pray you call us to holiness. I pray for those that feel the shame of their past life. I pray you would roll that away in Jesus' name. I pray you would move in Jesus' name. Pray that you would call people to yourself. Make us sons and daughters of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.